This is Punk Theology, the podcast you're listening to right now. Season one. This is episode eight. My name is Russ Shaw. Question. Ever heard these tidbits of wisdom? Make love, not war. All we are saying is give peace a chance. War, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. You get the idea, right? We are after peace. I think somewhere in the human heart, we we are something we desire, right? But how do we do that? You know, this kind of peace love music came out of the 60s, early 70s, and then into the late 70s, punk rock was born. And it just said, ah, we're not doing that. And now fast forward to 2016, the election, and we've, and this is where we find ourselves uncharted waters at this point. And maybe we're saying something must break. <laughs> The theology that informs us, even if you don't believe in theology, the, the big, the framing idea, the center of the map, on the Christian map, has been the atonement, which is Jesus' death on the cross. Yeah. And you better effing get it right, buddy. Yeah. You know, or you are out, okay? <laughs> yeah. And so that theology has done great damage, uh-huh. you know, to us. It leaves us confused. It leaves us wondering, like... You know, maybe they're right. You know, maybe they're wrong. Maybe they're right. Yeah. And it makes us crazy. It makes us do. It makes us live secret lives, right? Yeah. And do secret behaviors. Oh, yeah. So the large framing idea is very important. A lot of people just become atheists because they're just tired of being made crazy by Christians. You know? <laughs> right. I mean, being an atheist sure. to me is an incredibly logical thing to do. Yeah. You know, I, it doesn't work for me. But I mean, I don't people think people are stupid. You know, that become an atheist because there's a lot of things that lean into their evidence. You know, so having said that, I think we have to acknowledge history, we have to acknowledge context, we have to acknowledge the relationship we have with Scripture if we're going to move toward the ideal of love. Yeah. Because if you don't have the big picture, you can get off on all these sidetracks about, like, God hates me, God's mad at me. You know, if we want to get, you know, back to the theme of love, we have to see an overarching theme <laughs> so that we can get in the room with thousands of people who need to uh, practice staying in the room with difference and stop otherizing people. I think one of the reasons punk movement started is because it was tired of being otherized yeah. <clears throat> and being denigrated and minimized and categorized. Like, people just don't categorize. Well, you're going to get categorized no matter what. Right. And so, and now, of course, punk is commercial, right? But it, yeah. that's what happens always. So we all have this desire to not be put in a category, yeah. be diminished. Exactly. And so, you know, that's what punk's about. That's what these guys are about. They're fighting. You have to fight against it. It just auto, you know, automatically migrates toward otherizing. Yes, my one-on-one conversation with Jim Henderson is what we got in store for you today. But first, Punk Theology is reaching out to you. We want you to comment, to be a part of the social media Facebook page, Punk Theology Pub. Listen to me over here promoting social media. 
I'll be honest. I've got a bit of a love-hate relationship with social media myself. You feel me? On the one hand, I like it. On the other hand, it's just such a time suck. You hear people's political views, and it just seems to be this constant running righteous indignation postings, including myself, um, people posting pictures of their kids and their food. Uh, Okay, so what we're doing is maybe exercising some of those uh, uncomfortable thought bits that are running around in your head some. I see punk theology much like your piggy bank, right? It's got that kind of uncomfortable dissonance. And then it's got that little rubber stopper at the bottom, and you got to peel that off and try and get one finger in there to pull out a dollar bill or something, right? But once you get that dollar out and the rest of the change falls out, and you're like, oh, dollar ninety-eight, there we go. Like, I got that. I know now, you know? So, yeah, that's certainty, baby. Um,. Check us out at punktheology.com. Uh, leave a review of this podcast if you could. Man, we would love that. A five-star review would be beautiful. Punktheologypodcast at gmail.com. Send us an email. Listen now to this classic moment from an audience participation human interest program. Listen, we would love to hear from you guys and gals about your spiritual development, your experiences in Christian community or any other community that's out there. Uh, We want to hear from some of those stories that you may feel like you can't share in church. That's also why I give out the email address, because some of those thoughts you may not even feel safe airing on Facebook. Um, I think it's really healthy and good for us to, as shocking or eyebrow-raising as you may think it is, we would probably, yeah, yeah, been there. Me too. Some of that stuff that's on the inside that's just been fermenting in there for a while. Let's go ahead and distill that pour it over some ice cubes and and have a few sips with some friends shall we seriously honestly if you've been through some kind of spiritual abuse i i would consider you a friend because i've been there too and it hurts and it sucks each one of us in the punk theology panel has a story like that an eyebrow raising story and hopefully through this work we can demonstrate some unflinching honesty as we unpack some of that Which leads me into introducing my first guest here, one-on-one, on on the podcast. Uh, I, the host, Russ Shaw, interviewing Jim Henderson of NoJokeProject.com. So whether it's your nightmarish, PTSD-inducing church story, or American politics, the state of political unrest in the world... How do we make peace? That is why I had this guy on. I am so encouraged by his work and bringing, making peace a, a formula for bringing people together and actually staying in the room with difference, as Jim would say. That's what we're going to talk about. Uh, I am so glad to introduce Mr. Henderson here on the other side of this very appropriate bumper. Do you know about his strength and conviction? Or how she puts all her faith in religion? Did you take the time to really discover how little we know about each other? 
So, welcome, Jim. It's a pleasure, as always, to yeah. be with you and your unbelievably curious audience. We're here at Zoka's Coffee Shop in the uh, the cubicle area. The, the heart of liberal Seattle. The beating heart, that's right. Right at the center, right. the epicenter. Uh, so I wanted to talk to you about this project, uh, No Joke, which kind of reminds me, when you, when you were bringing this up, it had me thinking of the joke, right? Like uh, a Christian pastor, a Muslim imam, and a Jewish rabbi walk into a bar, right? <laughs> That's always how jokes get started. But for you, this, this, there's something very serious behind this project. And I wanted to play uh, the audio for, uh, it's on YouTube, it's called uh, No Joke Draft, and this is part of the trailer to what you're doing, and I'll let the audience uh, hear that and then we can respond to it. Okay. The story for me starts really on 9-11. We were in shock, we were watching the events, my wife and I, and a professor was saying that this is not representative of Islam as a whole, that it's really a religion of peace. And I remember having a visceral reaction to that, just feeling very angry, saying that's just not true. That's just not true. I'm not saying that I speak for 1.6 billion Muslims, but the fact is that the vast majority of Muslims are peaceful. My idea is that at least people should have the correct information and idea about Islam. So they are not running with misinformation about what Muslims believe or what Muslims think. When people start speaking in ever more hateful, ever more fearful ways about vulnerable religious minorities, those communities only get more and more vulnerable. And those communities are only more and more targeted. And Muslims in America are a target. Let's not pretend otherwise. They are not the threat, they are the threatened. My job within the Jewish community is to testify, basically, that I know these people. And I can tell you that they're a part of us. If you're going to call Jesus Lord of your life, then, then we have to seriously consider the tone of our voice, the words we're sharing, the things that we are perpetuating as it comes to our interaction with Muslims. Because I think when you really read the New Testament and you ask yourself, what would Jesus say? What would Jesus do? It is incongruent with most of the dialogue and the words and the actions that I see represented by the Christian majority. I really believe that it is just right to stand up and say that what is happening to Muslim Americans is evil, and I believe we have to call out evil when we see it. But it's also self-serving in the sense that I also believe that the best way to fight anti-Semitism in the Muslim community is to show up at moments like these as allies. When a national survey reveals that 20-some percent of Americans believe that ISIS is a true representation of what happens when Muslims are in charge of a country, and almost 50% of evangelicals believe that. That tells me that we are feeding hatred. We are feeding untruths. When someone starts with political movements that are about the otherization of a group, whether it's Jews or not, Jews, we're so attuned to that because so often that has been what's happened to us. And it's really, I mean, it's the core commandment of the Jewish people. More than any other commandment in the Torah, we're told, uh, you shall not oppress the orphan, the widow, or the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. If our rituals don't cause us to be better people, 
then we're doing the rituals wrong. The whole idea of Islamic kindness and mercy, there is a tradition of the Prophet, peace be upon him, which says that be merciful to those who are on this earth and the one who is in the heavens will be merciful with you. And it does not say to be merciful only to the believers, but be merciful to the creation of God. The message of the Jewish people is what is hateful to you, do not do to the other. The rest of it, everything else, from keeping kosher to observing the Sabbath, is just commentary on that. Harassment is ongoing. It's common that a Muslim kid is referred to as a terrorist. The T word for a Muslim these days is the new N word. I mean, I don't know. I don't even know what to say. I don't know what to say. I just get so frustrated when I see Christian people that I think, I, I don't think I know the tone of their voice, the things they post, the things they say are, are completely counterproductive and I believe incongruent with the way of Christ. I'm really sick of people asking Camille to denounce ISIS. I'm just really sick of it. Because, you know what? Camille's mosque has denounced ISIS over and over and over and over again. And there are, what, 35,000 people in ISIS and 1.6 billion Muslims? We continue to believe narratives that are not true. And then when we come across a story of, of a Muslim who does good or something, we tend to write that off as, well, that's the exception, not the norm. I was talking to a Christian that does work with Muslims, and he said, never one time have I had a person that says you're wrong about Muslims that has a Muslim friend or even knows a Muslim. I understand history is basically just moving in one of two directions. Either we are moving in a direction of including more and more people in the project of us, or we are moving in a direction of including more and more people in the project of them. All three of us genuinely want to live at peace with people that are different than us. My friendship with Jim Powell, an evangelical pastor, and with Rabbi Daniel Bogart is not based on agreement. It is based on we can differ on some of our most fundamental beliefs. And at the same time, we can be tolerant with one another, accept one another, and respect our differences. When I say Camille is my friend, when I say Jim is my friend, I mean it. It's not a professional friendship, it's a real friendship. And so all of the work that we're doing, I believe, is about that. It's about just saying that the friend of my friend is my friend, or should be my friend. Explain the relationships of these three guys that, that we just heard from here. So in keeping with the spirit of punkiness, I'll try and be brief and sort of cryptic. Yeah. And uh, I have been curious about how, what it is that people know who have managed to do what I call cross the difference divide. Right. Like, you know, in the political environment we're in now, it's easier to talk about because it it's so present is that if you voted for Trump, you didn't vote for Trump, and then people don't, then friendships are breaking up over that more right. than they did in the past around political differences. It's, it's very visceral. Uh, so, but nevertheless, I still I have friends that voted for Trump and I didn't, and we're friends, and we still keep talking, and and I'm really curious about that. So I've started studying people who are good at crossing political divide, 
economic divide, you know, the 1%, 99%, right. the uh, racial divide, Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, you know, yeah. uh, which one is it, gun rights, no gun rights, pro-life, pro-choice. Uh, there are people, not a lot, but who have managed to connect across these divides, and I was curious about why they did it, uh, how they did it, and because I was a pastor for 25 years and I've been in the religion business forever, you know, uh, accidentally, but anyway, it happened. So <laughs> I, I uh, am curious, I've always been curious about sort of religious divisions and divides and why people fight. This, you know, it doesn't take much to pick a fight around religion, right. even though we're in the love business, apparently. You know, right. One wouldn't know it. So, <laughs> right. so I met these three guys because they read a book, the, the uh, three guys in Peoria, Illinois, and that's important because I happen to have lived in the Midwest for a couple of years, so I'm not like most people on the East Coast and West Coast. I actually have friends in the Midwest, right? <clears throat> and and I know them, and they work with me now, and I work with them. And uh, so, while I have many differences, these are people I love, and I respect, and I get. Right. And uh, and so, uh, when this story came out of the Midwest, it caught my attention because it was a story of a evangelical pastor, a preacher, the church of like 1,500 people, multi-site thing, uh -huh. in the Midwest, and a Jewish rabbi uh, becoming friends with a Muslim imam, largely around wanting to protect him, you know. And I knew that that was different, because evangelicals don't befriend Muslims right now. Right. right? Especially in this country. In this country, and specifically, you don't do it in the Midwest. Right. They their friendship was based on sort of a shared sort of academic uh, curiosity around scriptures and Quran, and, right. and that's how it started. They were invited to speak at a university, and then they ended up liking each other, mm. which is always the problem when you like people. The rules change. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, uh oh, what did I get into here? Yeah. So anyway, they called me and said, "We have a story about our friendship." We think it might have national interest. Would you be interested in writing a book? And I said, um, I mean, just to keep it quick, I said no because nobody's going to buy the book, you know. And I don't want to write a, another book that nobody buys. Written like six books, eight books, I can't remember. But you know, two of them sell, and the rest are in my bookshelves. So I, uh, I just said, uh, let's do a movie. Movies are sexier, mm -hmm. and I don't know how to make a movie. I have friends who know how to do it, so they agreed to help me and, and at you know at, at day rates and stuff. So we put together a documentary film about these guys, their friendship, how they stayed in the room with difference, all that type of thing, and then we wrote a book at the same time, put it together in about nine months, and we're going to be touring this fall, 2017, in some major regions of the United States. Uh, where we all go together, these three guys and myself. I call them the Peoria Three, right. and uh, <laughs> so that we can get in the room with thousands of people who need to uh, practice staying in the room with difference and stop otherizing people. Right. Right. So I think one of the reasons punk movement started is because it was tired of being otherized. 
yeah. <clears throat> and being denigrated and minimized and categorized. Like people just don't categorize. Well, you're going to get categorized no matter what. Right. And so, and now of course punk is commercial, right? But it, yeah. that's what happens to all of us. So we all have this desire to not be put in a category and yeah. be diminished. Exactly. And so, you know, that's what punk's about. That's what these guys are about. They're fighting. You have to fight against it. It just auto, you know, automatically migrates toward otherizing. Yeah. So that's my. It's our human nature, right? To yeah. kind of fall into dualistic thinking. I think right. that's what Richard Rohr would, would, yeah. would use that that term. He's a punk. Yeah, he is. <laughs> I'm surprised they still let that guy be a Catholic priest, you know. In a good um, way, punk in a good way. That's right. Amen. Very true. Uh, so you did a TED talk recently up yeah. in the Everett area. Yeah. Um, Tell us what uh, what you were trying to communicate there, and how, how did that come about? I have a friend that was producing TED Talks because she's worked her butt off, earning the right to get the franchise in the Everett area. Oh, cool! And so this was her first, you know, like you you bring in the you bring in who's available on your first show. That's what she did with me. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> so so we uh, so that that was I like TED Talks. I. I think they have a very strong brand, uh, and uh, so I, for me, it was a privilege to get to be anything related with the, the red X next to it. Yeah. So I, that's Gen how X. that happened through right. a friendship, and and she and I, she's a producer, and we've worked on projects together, and try and support each other. And she, we were just talking. She said, "I'm doing this, and do you want to do that?" And I said, "Yeah." So, um, so what part of it are you interested in? What, what were you? your main draw what did you want to communicate what was the uh, I wanted to the, communicate about this issue about um, crossing the difference divide right yeah that's 12, what it was called right? crossing, yeah, the crossing the difference, difference divide. divide in 12 minutes that's the thing that TED Talks do get some criticism about is you're trying to compact oh, I love a lot it. of information but it's almost like a movie trailer right like if you're interested in this topic a TED Talks a great way to get people to yes. you know, I want to know more about that yes but most people don't rush up after a TED Talk and say, wait, could you please keep going? They go like, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And they tell you what they think about your talk and what it reminded them about themselves. Yeah. So it turns out, actually, when I run live events, I do off-the-map events, uh, the longest talk is 12 minutes. I get people in three minutes and seven minute segments. And because, you know, when you watch television, uh, you are very accustomed to really watching people for about three minutes. Uh, you know, talk, and you're as a viewer, pretty, pretty good. That that works. I got what I needed to know. Thank you. So it turns out, I tell people just pretend you're on TV and say thank you. You know, yeah. say thank you. Like when the red lights on, dude, all these people are watching you. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of of uh, focusing and framing, and it was painful because I had to memorize the talk. You know, yeah. people with very different ideological viewpoints founded this country. They approached the American experiment with very different, open, very different outcomes. Some wanted what they had left in Britain. Some wanted one man, one vote. Some wanted to keep slavery. Others wanted to abolish it. The, these these uh, differences would eventually culminate in America's civil war, which we have continued to relitigate since that time, generation after generation, politically. For example, today we have gay, straight, one percent, ninety-nine percent. That's the opening part of my TED talk. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I had to memorize it. Yeah. And that was very painful. <laughs> Somebody at my age, like, don't make me do this. Uh, so I wanted to be forced to become concise, to be able to think about what do you, what does a person really want to know about this? Not what do I want to say. What are you ready to hear? 
you know. So I tried to address the issues that people were in here and make it relevant to them. And the, the point of that talk was to use uh, my history in researching difference and the difference divide to introduce what I call the three practices, right. which are the practices I've observed in people who are successful at crossing the difference divide. The first practice is they practice being unusually interested in others. For example, right now you're listening, I'm talking. You're doing what I call practicing being unusually interested. Yeah. You're taking part of your time in your life because you and I are both going to be dead in a while. Right. But nevertheless, we find this interesting enough to address, to, to give some minutes and seconds to, and you're asking me to talk about something. So that's a gift to me. You're out listening to me. You're being unusually interested in me. Right. The second practice that people who have crossed the difference divide is they learn to stay in the room with difference. So today, if you want to break up a relationship, just talk about who you voted for. That's it. That's all you need to do, and then you'll probably not be friends any longer, right? Yeah. But what if you didn't? What if who said we had to break up? What if it turns out we have something in common? Or what if we have other things in common other than who we voted for? And what if, God forbid, we actually like each other in spite of the fact that we voted for different people? What do we do then? That's the second practice. The third practice is they stop comparing their best with your worst. Uh, one of the ways I, I uh, shut you down if I don't like you or don't like what you're saying is I find a weakness, a chink in your armor. Right. And I play gotcha. Well, how about this then? And yeah. I bring up something out of your sordid past and I completely throw you off the trail. Like, whoa, wait a minute. I didn't see that coming. Yeah. So people, like in a debate, sometimes questions exactly. are a good thing, but then a loaded oh, question. Lawyers do this all the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. They lead you and come up with all sorts of crap. Right. So the third practice is stop playing gotcha and they give ground. In other words, instead of finding your weakness, I... I offer a weakness in my own argument, yeah. and I, I offer a question about my own position. Like, I don't know if I voted for the right person. This is why I would have voted for that guy. I don't know. And that gives you then, you know, my ide ideological opponent, ammo to use against me if you want to. Right. And then I wait and see if you use it on me. Right. right. And if you don't, then it's like, oh, we have another pathway to each other. Yeah. So that's what the talk's about, about how that came about those practices and what, it, what what could possibly happen if we started practicing those practices. Yeah, that's a, a very punk idea as well, that, you would, that you would be vulnerable and show your vulnerabilities and weaknesses right. to the other in order to be, you know, early, the, the early, early punk culture was, you know, shaving your head into a mohawk and wearing really crazy colors right. and clothing, almost inviting, right. you know, Jesus. this, yeah. Exactly. Jesus was the ultimate punk then. Absolutely, yeah. You know. And the cross is, is very, very right. punk yeah. as well, because it doesn't make sense as far as the old law is concerned. Right. Right. It's like God came, don't make me come down there. Don't make me come down there. <laughs> I'm going to show up like a baby. You'll never see it. <laughs> For 30 born, years. Born in a barn. For 30 years, I'm going to do nothing. <laughs> You'll never plan on that. What would you do if you were God? Do nothing for 30 years and That's then right. be dead three and a half years later? No. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> That's fun. The, uh, we, we underestimate love. And I think that's a big part of what you're, you've put together here is, is the communicating the idea. One of, your, one of your quotes that I love, I've quoted you on. I think I've quoted you so much on it that I just stole it now. Don't go for it. I'm <laughs> sure I won't remember it. But if I do, I'll try and take credit You said love changes the rules. That so, is so true. Yes. That's very yeah. close to what I said. But you can keep that quote. Okay. I didn't say that. But it, I, what I say is when people like each other, right. the rules change. Yeah. 
but I like your I like your spin on it. Love changes the rules. Yeah, it's very, that's even more succinct. Yeah, I've had uh, the privilege, the honor, uh, the weighty honor of talking to parents who one of their their kids come out as as gay, mm-hmm. and they may be conservative. They may have very strong, you know, thoughts and feelings about homosexuality or gay pride or whatever. But when that happens, it gets real personal. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to say that love changes the rules 100% in these situations, but sometimes the... How do we get to the place, Jim, where the, the ideal, ideal or the fear of God as this punishing judge or something... Uh, it really messes with some of these family constructs and, and social constructs. And so, it, when you said that, it reminded me of that passage: the fear of, that you and I have been taught, the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. Yeah, you, you remember hearing that? Oh, yeah. That could be interpreted so, a lot of different ways, right? So, rather than doing that, let's say that that scripture has been cherry picked uh-huh. and then said so much like a marketing slogan that it actually worms, it's an earworm, it's in our heads, it's like a hook on a song. Uh-huh. So if you say it, and you've heard it said enough by powerful people, I can trigger that emotion in you simply by saying the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. You you will be temporarily emotionally disabled from responding, because you you, you don't know if, if you're right in not believing that their intention was. Right. So here's one of the problems we've inherited, right? I mean. It's naive to think that we are uh, tabula rasa, like we just landed here with a, a blank slate, you know, yeah. that there's no influence on our life. That's just, I mean, it's naive. We are part of history. It's ongoing. Yeah, we're born we're, into social norms. And exactly. And so we're either resisting them or embracing them or defending them or trying to just disrupt them. Or unconscious to them. Yes, and unconscious <laughs> to them, exactly. Right? Yeah. Cla- like systemic racism we're unconscious to, white privilege we're unconscious to. Because yeah. it's not an inconvenience to us, right? Yeah, we're yeah. paying a price to be white, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so I think we have to recognize if you truly want to disrupt and, and aspire to the ideal, you have to understand the context that you're living in. Einstein said the formulation of a problem is often more important than its solution. Mm-hmm. In other words, when you think about what problem am I actually solving? Am I solving the problem of biblical interpretation? Or am I solving it, do I have to pull out to 30,000 feet and say, in what context is that, that being delivered, right? Right. So that's, to me, very important. The second one then gets to your point about what I would call the, the Bible we've inherited, the version of the Bible. Yeah. I'm going down a pathway here, but that's very punk, I think, of me. So it is, it is. I'm yeah. going to say... Uh, You're untying some very so, heavily you know, tied knots. This stuff <laughs> just has irritated me for at least 30 years. So you have the historical context, you have power, and then you have the context that we operate in, which is Christianity and the Bible, yeah. you know, thus punk theology and all that kind of stuff that we're having this conversation about. So we've inherited a view of scripture, and more importantly, a way of reading scripture. So what I'd like to suggest is that you just quit that the Bible, this will be, this this is actually what I believe now, the Bible is never meant to be read that we were trained to read it. It's not designed. The, the, The book is not put together in a coherent manner 
that it makes sense to a logical, reasonable person to read it like a dictionary or encyclopedia. Yeah, exactly. It isn't that it's absent, it's stories. Yeah, it's, it isn't that it's absent of facts and details, right? But we don't know where the facts start. And myth begins at times. Now the insiders do, and they tell us, and then they argue with each other about no, that's a fact. No, that's myth. Yeah. Screw these people. Right. You know, like I want to be able to pick up the book and like get something out of it. Like, right. so I have for a number of years begun approaching the Bible like a movie. So I think I, I read it now expansively. Actually, I don't read it that much, but, but when I did, I used to read it so much, you know, like I'd know things like the fear of God is a being in verse exactly. <laughs> So, you know, yeah, me so too. I can pull that out. So, in yeah. version in general in King James. But so I know the scope of the Bible, I know the stories of the Bible, and, it, and I pull back out of it like, what's the big story here? You know, what's happening in Genesis and with these people? And how's it culminating in Jesus and Revelation, whatever? And I'm looking for major themes, but I'm just looking, what's the big idea here? Right. So, uh, and again, people can disagree about that, you know, but that's a fair fight, right? That's like, no, the themes here, no, the themes here, okay, fine. You can prove both themes are there, right? Uh, where the mistake is what, to, to read the scripture in the way that we've been taught, which is to analyze it, break it down, break it down into sentences, break it down into verbs, Greeks, nouns, all that stuff is just a bunch of crap as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And that's very punk of me to say. Right. And also risky for people that, uh, well, they're probably not going to listen to your show, you know, that <laughs> right. hold a different view or used to hold a different view. I mean, the kind of people who are going to listen to your show are people trying to escape what I'm talking about. Yeah, and, or and, people have been wounded, and, or people who are asking questions, right. difficult questions. And do they want to just dump the whole thing? So they're, by listening to your show, they're demonstrating some curiosity about, you know, wow, I should, um, uh, maybe I still, I'm not going to throw this all out. I mean, a lot of people just become atheists because they're just tired of being made crazy by Christians. You know? <laughs> right. I mean, being an atheist, to me, is an incredibly logical thing to do. Uh, you know, I, it doesn't work for me, but I mean, I don't people think people are stupid, you know, that become an atheist because there's a lot of things that lean into their evidence, you know. So, having said that, I think we have to acknowledge history, we have to acknowledge context, we have to acknowledge the relationship we have with Scripture if we're going to move toward the ideal of love. Yeah, because if you don't have the big picture, you can get off on all these sidetracks about like God hates me, God's mad at me, you know. We don't, and we're dealing with language we don't always understand, and it's like we're reading the script without looking at the movie. So we pull things out of the script, like the yeah. fear of God. And the and script wasn't written in English. Okay, and and so <laughs> yeah. which is an interesting point. The, the given the context, it was it was a much richer, more human environment yeah. that the scripture was was articulated in and recorded in. And so, uh, when we, if we want to get you know back to the theme of love, we have to see an overarching theme. Exactly. You know, not just all these breakouts. Why did God kill His person? Why did Jesus say? you know, uh, whatever random thing he said right. about the children of Israel on some day that we don't know what he meant. We don't, you know, it's like, I don't know. What's the big picture here? Right. What's you the deal know, with the ram caught in you, the fence? You know? yeah, yeah. If you do believe that God loves people, then you think, okay, well, you know, and, and it, it, what becomes mostly radical about the Christian story is that he likes human beings because most of religion is an escape from humanity. Yeah. Right? Because God is apparently not happy with human beings. Yeah. Right? And now Christianity, of course, I'm not talking about the Christian story, I'm talking about Christianity, has adopted what all of its other competitors in the religious marketplace have, which is basically God's mad at you, do this to get him not mad. 
Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So the whole thing in the cross, the atonement thing, the theory, penal substitution, atonement, is the Christian version of making God not mad at you. That Buddhists do some other way, Hindus do some other way, Muslims do. Yeah. Everybody's offering God a bunch of stuff yeah. to make him not mad. If that deity, that deity who's mad at us is running the world, you and I are completely screwed yeah. for having this conversation. That's right. We are going to go to hell. That's right. But that deity has a hell. He's I'm, Zeus. Yeah, it's Zeus, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And I'm betting that that is not... My bet is on Jesus, right? Yeah, I could not be Poseidon. Wrong. I, could be, not Poseidon. <laughs> I could be completely wrong. Yeah. My bet is on Jesus, yeah. that, that God likes people. He became a human being, and, and all I need to do is watch that movie. I just need to watch the Jesus movie. I don't need to read everything. I get the big picture. Oh, you showed up. Oh, you know, we killed you. You know, you, know, you died. For some reason, we don't know why, but thank you. Yeah. Okay. It means something. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're making God not mad at me because God already li- liked me. I, I like to say people God likes us because because it's a more powerful word than love right now. Love is has been hijacked. Yeah. It means a lot of stuff, right? It does. I say I like you. I love you. cheeseburgers, burritos. I love my yeah. wife. Right. Like it's, it's another English language. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I say I like you as human being, it's not been abused yet. It will be, but it's but now it means. You know, what it really means is, I want to hang out with you. Yeah, yeah. You know, you don't bug me. Yeah. Like, it doesn't mean we're the same. It doesn't mean we agree. Yeah. It just means there's a lot of people I could, like, want to hang that I should be. You know, I want to be I in like, your presence. I like you, exactly. Yeah. So that's why I think God likes people. So the gospel to me is basically God likes people. Yeah. That to, then, that to me is the radical claim Jesus lived out and God, God lived out when he... When Jesus came, right? I could be wrong. Maybe there's other things, but that's what I'm banking on. Yeah, me too. Pretty much. There's a there's a, a punk song by a band called Social Distortion that's called uh, something like the chorus is, "You're down here with the rest of us." And that's that's something about the Christian story that resonates with me is that that the Creator, of the universe, would get down here with the rest of us. <clears throat> Maybe that's where the original "Get Down" came from. <laughs> get down and get funky, yeah. or get punky into the the humanness of of this whole thing. Hum, hum, humus, right? Yeah, dirt, humus, hubris is pride. Humus, humility, humus. Get in the dirt. That's right. Very true. So, the book, uh, no joke. Tell uh, tell listeners what you know what, what you're doing with this, and maybe uh, how how they could get connected, and and why this is important. I think it's tremendously important. But what. Uh, I mean, you talked a little about, about how the project, the genesis of the project, and what is the, the summer going to look like for you, I suppose? Summer looks like me painting a lot of houses. That's what I do to make <laughs> money. Right. It's my habit. Going to be getting in the room, showing clips of the film, uh, talking about the three practices, how they apply to their relationship and to everyone's relationship. Right. And then we take any question anybody wants to ask about... Uh, their anxiety around Muslims primarily or why the evangelical can be friends with a Muslim who ostensibly may be going to his hell because he doesn't believe in Jesus and they ask uh, why the rabbi is a Zionist Jew who believes in two state solution which is a Zionist Jew you typically wouldn't believe but he does believe in and, and why the rabbi and the imam are getting along 
and have respect for each other. We don't even care about that as, as Christians. We have no, but if we go to the Mideast, uh, the, the Middle East, it'll be a big, that'll be the big story. Right. So I also understand the meaning of having an evangelical. So Jim Powell, who's the pastor I'm dealing with here, is principally the only evangelical pastor with a church of any influential size in America today who's standing up uh, speaking out on behalf of Muslim Muslims. The only one. Uh-huh. And that's an embarrassment to me as an evangelical, which yeah. I am. Yeah. Uh, because we're playing it safe. We basically want to elect the president, make sure he stays in office long enough to get our rights secured. And then I'm sure a lot of evangelicals hope that he resigns and Mike Pence becomes a president because they don't have a real evangelical, right. you know, and all that stuff. So I, I don't like the whole politicization of the evangelical. And I helped, you know, I barely, but in the early 70s, helped foster that, would have participated in it, but got away from it, thank God. Yeah. You know, so part of it for me is, is getting evangelicals involved in this conversation because you and I both know a lot of evangelicals who don't hold the views that we just, I just... Spouse. Exactly. Yeah. Then, and I even know conservative evangelicals who don't hold those views, who think it's wrong for us to be mistreating people in America. So there's that is on the on the you know on the, on the surface of things the issue I want to open up a conversation with. And I like getting in the room with live audiences where you can't predict what's going to happen. Yeah. Because when when you raise the anxiety in a room high enough, you know that's when people are most open to learning something new. Yeah. Right. And because everybody gets nervous then, and they go like, "What's going to happen?" Yeah. So I always like and then their emotions trigger yeah. those thoughts, right? And they, those questions. We're emotional beings. Exactly. That's what we are. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, C.S. Lewis said, you know, like stories get past our watchful dragons, right? Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. You raise those those levels of emotion. Yeah. Emotion does that. You right. Know? Yeah. So I like I like it's, it's being in bands, playing in bands. I love. I love moving the emotion in a room, you know, and I like what happens, how people remember they were, saw a certain band at a certain club at a certain place, and it's just always fascinated me, like, how they, how we mark time around music like that. Yeah. Some people do it through movies, right? So rather than put these guys on a lecture tour, you know, where they just stand up and read from their book and say, you know, way to go, you know, and boring people and not being able to sell tickets to that, you know, I said, let's put the movie front and center. We're going to show clips of the movie, have these three guys... I interview these guys in between the clips of the movies, kind of like what uh, you see some people see in the show inside the actor's studio, uh-huh. where the guy interviews these celebrities, they talk about it. Then we turn it over to the audience. Yeah. At that time, there's energy in the audience. They say, you know, we get these questions about Sharia law, yeah. and Muslims trying to take over the United States, blah, blah, blah. And if the audience doesn't ask it because they're afraid, I ask it. I'll say, let's talk about Sharia law. Yeah. You know, when's, when do you, to my mom, when are you guys taking over? Yeah. Apparently it's any day now. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. are we friends? Would you warn me? You know, stuff like that. <laughs> so we, <laughs> so we're going to be in rooms, five hundred to fifteen hundred people, yeah. and uh, and just take the story public. Yeah. And and that's what I'm looking forward to. You know, so we're that's Speaking what's in it for me. That's what's in it for me in terms of the show. We're going to do. We call it a show because entertainment is the most influential institution in the world, probably the yeah. only one with real influence today, yeah. and it, which will wane because it, it's an undeserved thing, but it is global. I'm, I'm in show business, I like entertainment. Uh, I think because it moves people's emotionally, it moves yeah. people's emotions, and uh, it tells stories, and it, 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 it energizes us. So we use music and movies and these live stories to create a moment that you remember so that you might change. 
Yeah. You might. And that's what entertainment does. I remember right. reminding somebody of this who was criticizing a certain pastor for being a, an entertainer. He used it like a bad word. And I said, do you know the definition of entertainment is to just grab someone's attention and hold it for a period of time? Mm -hmm. That's all entertainment is, mm -hmm. you know. Right. It's like, oh, I never heard of it put that way. But well, most megachurch pastors are entertainers. Yeah. Because yeah. the guys that I know in that business, when I befriended them, and I've done, I've consulted with them. I said, you got to quit thinking, the megachurch guy. I said, you got to quit thinking of yourself like a pastor. You're like in show. I've been in bands. You like, you're like more like a front man. Yeah. You're wired that way. You tell people you love them on the stage, but you never want to talk to them when you're done. <laughs> I mean, that's how that's you want to go in the green room, the back room. So it's very true, but it's an interesting place that the church has arrived that we require those people, yeah. you know, to actually be the big people. I don't know, I, you know, I don't know, I don't think that's great, personally. Right. I think we, should, like a keep, brand of we should keep them in show business, keep you guys in show business. <laughs> Let them go out and talk about Jesus and do show business. Let's, let's keep it clean. Yeah. You know, quit lying to people, you know, and let's keep it, let's do it, but keep it clean. So I'm all into entertainment, but I want it very clarified about you know, this is not something I'm interested in doing with smoke machines and bells and whistles in church. Right. Uh, to me, that's not what church is about. But anyway, right. that's my opinion. I'd like to see more mega church pastors be honest. That'd be awesome. Right. Actually, then they talk. lose their job. <laughs> exactly. Even though what, somebody in the Bible say something about uh, I'll boast in my weaknesses, you know. Oh, and come we, on, we don't, don't be pulling that obscure. <laughs> that's cherry picking. <laughs> that is cherry picking. And like, except Jesus, or loving your enemies, yeah, or, I know, or you know, your neighbor. Uh, but this is like Matthew five type of stuff. The first three hundred like, years of the church, uh, prior to Constantine, or had two streams running. One was they thought that the Beatitudes really meant something. You know, like, turn the other cheek, loving your enemy, all that stuff in the Beatitudes. We, and conversely, unfortunately, there was a hierarchy move happening simultaneously, and, and the hierarchy won. Right? Yeah. Hierarchy won. But the first three years, if you had carried a gun, if there was a gun, you would not be considered a Christian. Now today... If you're not carrying a gun, people wonder if you're a Christian. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. If you're not chasing money, people will... If you're chasing money, people wonder you might be a Christian. Right? Yeah. This yeah. is the exact opposite of the, er the early years of the church, the early uh, centuries yeah. of the church. But we don't... We have no feeling about that. We're not embarrassed. We're not ashamed because we think they were stupid. We yeah. think those people were eating raw roots out of the ground or something. They didn't know anything. Yeah. And so we just uh, diminish that stuff. But I think what the Mennonites are into, you know, and what some elements of Catholics are into, and, uh, you know, and young progressive evangelicals, uh, are, there will be a re uh, resurgence of those, those insights. Matthew 25, it, uh, you know, uh, feeding your enemy and going to jail and, you know, the whole thing, you know, uh, hunger, hunger and thirsting and so on, it's going to replace... Uh, 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 John 28 uh, I'm sorry, uh, Matthew 28 where Jesus talks about the Great Commission so in our lifetime the Great Commission was the big idea Yeah, that was Matthew 28 you know, and John 3.16 and this next move in the next decades it will be Matthew 25 uh, I was hungry and you fed me I was thirsty yeah. and you clothed me yeah. that's, what's, that's how pe young people are going to interpret the gospel to the least which is these. great yeah. that's I, not, I that's won't live so... to see it but it's going to be awesome right, yeah and that's so not this dualistic black and white kind of thing. Like Jesus wasn't no, about it, that kind of language is not. And what's ultimately really lines. punk is that 
the theology that informs us, even if you don't believe in theology, the, the big, the framing idea, the center of the map on the Christian map has been the atonement, which is Jesus' death on the cross. Yeah. And you better effing get it right, buddy. Yeah. You know, or you are out, okay? <laughs> yeah. And so that theology has done great damage, uh-huh. you know, to us. It leaves us confused. It leaves us wondering, like, you know, maybe they're right. You know, maybe they're wrong. Maybe they're right. Yeah. And it makes us crazy. It makes us do. It makes us live secret lives, right? Yeah. And do secret behaviors. Oh, yeah. So the large framing idea is very important. And what I anticipate seeing is that that the atonement. And here's what's true about the atonement: Jesus died on the cross for us. Thank you, Jesus. But we just don't know why. Right. We know. We know. We all want to. Get, we need to be saved. Yeah. I don't know from from what or to what. But I'm down with that. I'm down with being saved. Thank you. You know, I don't know why, how it happened, or what it means. That's be, that's above my pay grade. Yes, I want to be saved. I think everybody needs to be saved. But that is what the atonement's about. It, it it needs to be subsumed by the incarnation. So the thing we're struggling to talk about here, the framing idea, the big punk idea, actually, is the incarnation is the radical claim around Jesus that God became human and lived among us, yeah. God in the dirt, right? Yeah. And it's the thing that attracts us because what we're betting on is that God likes human beings. Yeah. And, and the reason I can't be an atheist is because I think the ability that I have to be self-conscious to be, in other words, talking with you and all simultaneously thinking, sitting in this room, watching us have this conversation. Also be aware, I'm going to effing die soon. <laughs> all that's going on in my head simultaneously. Uh-huh. And to think that like I'm suddenly going to be dead and that's going to stop, I, that's just unreasonable to me. Right. That is not plausible because that means God is really weird. <laughs> you know, God is really weird. Like he, would, he or she would create us to have all this... Ability and then like oh sorry it was a big joke doesn't really matter now yeah. I don't buy it yeah I don't buy I don't it I think camp. I'm gonna take my I think I'm gonna get whatever heaven is after this I'm gonna see you I'm gonna know you doesn't mean we're all gonna be sitting around you know talking about the meaning of life and like oh I we don't have to talk yeah. about it anymore. on a cloud or <laughs> like, like harp or whatever you know yeah, like yeah. we're gonna be enjoying you know our humanity and I think the relationships are the treasure right Absolutely. like it's what not else is there? you're not going to take your junk with you right what else is there exactly that's nothing. it that's what, we, that's what we leave with and that demonstration of love that is the way you know I started thinking about the word should right but th- this demonstration of love that is the cross for example that is so incredibly punk yeah. that we you know, our, our our fleshy, egotistical minds just don't know what to do with it. It's getting past that and yeah. actually staying in the room. As and you and say, how would we difference. do that without love, right? I mean, we exactly. wouldn't know how to get around. Yeah. We'd never be trying to one-up each other. Yeah. It's not about that. Yeah. It's about falling in love with each other. It's about letting that happen, that, that thing that we just long for. Yeah. Will you, what if you knew me? Would you love me? Like Mother Teresa said, don't shit on me. Right, yeah. Mother Teresa said, "Speaking of should, don't <laughs> right. should on me." Yeah, yeah. You know, and and th- instead of that world, the playing of gotcha, I want to play. I want to. What if I honored the other? What if I found you? I was curious and I was interested. Where, where is that inclination in me? I'm an incredibly selfish person, right? Yeah. But I know I have these moments where I actually feel that the joy I get of being about you. Yeah. Right? Where does that come from? Yeah. Right. I want more of that, and I'm so touched. When somebody gives me that gift, yeah. right? 
the main thing is human beings we want to know this is this is my after years of thinking about this the main thing is I want to know I'm not alone okay? yeah. I'm not or I'm not the only stupid person right you know, I'm not the only failure yeah. I'm not the only person that thought this I'm the only person that has a regret I'm not the, I'm not I'm not alone yeah right somebody tell me I'm not alone right? yeah and so that's the gift we give each other that's it that's it that's it that's right. just you're not alone man yeah you know and it's enough it's it's it is enough it's it's all we get in life. It's good enough. You know? Yeah, exactly. Jim Henderson, thank you for being on the podcast. He's the first guest, uh, no joke, uh, in the fall. He'll be out there. www.nojokeproject.com. Shall I say it again? Yes. www.nojokeproject.com. And I'll have a link on the show notes. And uh, a link on the Facebook page. Look at you, man, staying on the clock. That's right. See, that you one? are a producer. You're awesome. <laughs> you get nailed it. Right up against the. Right and nobody's going to uh, beg to hear more from me. This is good enough. <laughs> no, this is this is great. Thanks again, Jim. Thank you. There he goes, Mr. Jim Henderson. You can also find more out about Jim on the internet. JimHendersonPresents.com to see some of the other projects that he's been involved in as well. And listen, you should really check out Mr. Henderson's TED Talk as well. If you'd like to see that, uh, we'll have a link on the Facebook page, Punk Theology Pub, standing for public right there. Or you can just search it on uh, YouTube, look for Jim Henderson's name, crossing the difference divide uh, the music on the podcast today of course kicking it off with 90 pound wuss something must break and then less than jake was that other band that i kicked off the conversation with the song is called all my friends are metalheads uh this music can also be found on spotify there's a spotify playlist called punk theology if you search punk theology you should be able to find our playlist and this song near and dear to my heart by social distortion down here with the rest of us till next time thanks for listening uh share this man if you liked it uh share it on social media uh i know it's scary but we'd appreciate it and it would free your soul <laughs> i don't know probably not but at least it will give it a tattoo and maybe a body piercing. Again, thanks for listening. This is Russ Shaw saying bye. You work hard now To put the food on the table You're working for the man Who don't even know